today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. It's a continual dependence on the power of Christ. And it doesn't mean we don't try to look like Jesus. I'm not saying that's not as though it's just like, well, I can't do anything, so I'm just going to stay here. And then it's like a conveyor belt where the Lord just kind of walks me through and then, you know, puts holiness and love and mercy. I mean, no, no, no. The gospel calls us to grace-fueled effort. But in those efforts, we continually acknowledge, Lord, I'm not enough. I am insufficient. Help me. And the Lord provides through his spirit power. Many self-help books or programs are out there seeking to have you buy into what they're selling. It's not wrong to want to believe in yourself or to have a more positive view of yourself. But what Pastor Ricky gets at today is that the greatest treasure to find is when you come to the end of yourself. This is so countercultural to today's way of thinking, but it's actually what makes you stand out in contrast to the world around you. When you're acknowledging God's power in you, you're strong. Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 as he continues his message, Strength in Weakness. He says at one point that we felt we'd received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Right? He got to the point where he's like, this is so, this is too much. I feel like I'm dead. But in that moment, I remember there's somebody who can raise the dead. Look, this is true, not just in the life of Paul, but across the entire Bible. I had three pages of stories from Scripture. I can only give you two brief ones. I want to take two examples from Scripture. One is Gideon, and the other is David. First, the story of Gideon, right? If you've grown up in church, maybe you know this story, where Gideon was leading an army against God's enemies, and all he could muster was 33,000 troops, which was totally inadequate to beat this big army. And yet the Lord says, no, not 33,000. He reduces it to 10,000 which is not good. And he goes from 10,000 to 300. That's suicide. That's not a fight. And yet the Lord says he does it because the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. In other words, the Lord saves them in such a way that they could only ascribe their survival and salvation to the Lord. He loves them too much to let them think that they saved themselves. Then the story of David, right? Everybody probably knows the story of David and Goliath, even if you're new to the Bible, if you're not a Christian. David's this shepherd boy who comes. He's willing to fight this great enemy, Goliath, who's seven-foot monster guy. David is so small, he can't even wear armor into the battle. And yet he goes out and he taunts Goliath, and he says, he does it, he's facing him, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Look, so many people read the story of David and Goliath as if it's, even a kind of a secular setting, a metaphor for when you're a little guy, if you try hard and are brave and keep grinding, then you can win against the giants in your life. And you just need to be like David and you need to take your skill set. You need to get out there, you know, and, and, and you're like, yeah, that's right. Hashtag motivation Monday, right? Like hashtag, like, let's do this. And, and you're pumped up. And that's the story of David. That is the opposite of the story of David. 
David's example teaches us not that he is strong, but that the Lord is so strong that he can use a teenage kid and a rock to slay the greatest warrior of the ancient world. Right? The point of the story of David and Goliath is not David is awesome, but God is awesome and delivers his people, and he, he needs no resources to do it. The greatest battles in Israel's history are not the ones where they planned their tactics carefully and went out and executed well. Their greatest battles are when they depended on the Lord, when they're utterly broken before him and his power went before them. Look, this is, this is the theme of scripture. I want you to see, this is normative. This is not like, because this is so countercultural for us as Americans, I need you to see that this is not just like a little sliver of the Bible. This is the whole Bible. And nowhere perhaps is this clearer than in the ministry and work of Jesus. It is important to make clear that Jesus is actually strong and powerful, right? He is the second member of the Trinity. He is fully God and fully man. He says, be still and whole storms stop. He says, wake up and people rise from the dead, right? He has all the power. I'm not saying Jesus doesn't have any power. But Philippians 2 says that he humbles himself in two ways, by taking the form of a servant, meaning taking the form of a human. Meaning he, he made himself weak in a sense for us. He got splinters helping his dad do woodworking. He got tired, he got hungry, he fell asleep. He cried at the death of a friend, right? Jesus ministered that way. And the, the second and greater humbling in Philippians 2 is that he humbled himself even to death on the cross. That he, he never would have died. And yet he embraced death. He humbled himself to it. He humbled himself to humiliation, to this instrument of torture, so that on the cross he could bear our sins, so that he could bear our sins on himself and suffer for them under God's justice that we deserve. He did this to conquer our sin, in a sense, to conquer this mountain of debt, to do what we could never do for ourselves, and then after the cross, he rises in power, conquering death himself, being lifted up before the entire world. So in Jesus, we see the greatest display of strength in seeming weakness. Kent Hughes says this, what we need most to see is that power in weakness is shorthand for the cross of Christ. In God's plan of redemption, there had to be weakness in the crucifixion before there was power in the resurrection. Church, this is the pattern for the Christian life and for our church. So then, some implications from that. First implication, we must reject gospels of worldly strength. Everywhere in our world, in our culture, there is a gospel, a message of good news, so-called good news, and in particular, that good news in America is the good news, the gospel of self. We believe that we can achieve greatness and power and success through fame, through money, through relationships, through Instagram stardom, through whatever. There are a thousand ways to, quote, pursue happiness in America, but all of them ultimately are the good news of self, making much of us. That's what our culture is selling. And this pastor says, no, we don't want to buy. 
we take the gospel of self and we wrap it in church clothes and we come and worship it. Some examples. The gospel of health and wealth, right? The good news that you can be healthy and wealthy and whatever, and if you just give God your time, your money, your you know, worship, whatever, God will then make you as amazing as you know deep down you should be, right? The gospel of self-esteem, which is that God deep down, his purpose is to make you feel great. And usually that's, God doesn't lay any rules or restrictions on you. He loves you for you. He loves you, he loves everything about you. And he just wants to show the world how wonderful you are. And you just want to help him. You, know, help, you and the Lord will work together on that. The gospel then uh, is another gospel of bootstrapping. In other words, you're going to bootstrap your way into God's good graces. Now it's true, maybe you sin, maybe you fall short, but you get a boost from God, you get a little help from God, and he will help you be as amazing as you know you can be. Or the gospel of being a nice person. This happens a lot, where you want to be a better person, or you see you know, a hole in your life in the spiritual area, well, get back to church, learn how to be a good person, so you can become even more wonderful. Now look, and we as Americans always say two things. Well, nobody's perfect. Yeah, I'm not perfect, nobody's perfect. But deep down, we also believe something else. I'm pretty close, right? I'm pretty close. Like, listen, nobody's perfect. I, you know, I throw that out there. But I almost am, right? That's, and we come to church, and we're like, Lord, just help me fill in that, I need that last 10%. Just put, you know, get over the edge. Church, what I need us to see is that these aren't just flavors of Christianity. According to this passage and the whole of scripture, those are anti-Christian in a deep sense. That's implication one. Implication two, we must embrace the gospel of God's strength in our weakness. Now, coming to Christ means making the ultimate acknowledgement of weakness before him. Look, in order to come to Jesus, you must fully acknowledge who you are, according to scripture, that you are sinful, right? That you, you have rebelled against the Lord, that you have made a mess of your life. And it requires acknowledging also, okay, I've made a mess and I can't dig myself out of this hole. I can't be good for the next decade and, and make up for the previous three or something like that. In fact, I can't be good enough this decade to get better than I was the last three decades. We must come to the end of ourselves. So when Jesus tells that parable about the, the great sinner and the, the religious kind of hypocrite, the religious hypocrite comes and prays, Lord, thank you that I'm not like other men. But the sinner comes and prays, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. One of those understands the gospel of weakness and the other one doesn't. The other one is in religious clothes pursuing the gospel of worldly strength. So to become a Christian means getting down to that point where you say, I cannot save myself. And it's only there that you see a true need for Jesus. Look, I have a burden that there may be some here today, right now, maybe you've even been coming to church for a while that you think you're a Christian and you're not because in the end, you come to church because you want to feel better or you want to do better. The gospel is not that God will save those who help themselves or God will save those who choose to improve themselves. The good news and the gospel message is that God saves those who come to the end of themselves, who acknowledge their sinfulness before the Lord, who acknowledge their deep need for him, who acknowledge it's not as though like my clothes are a little dirty. That's just, I'm a wreck, Lord. You have to get there. And if you can't get there, then I would submit perhaps 
You've not yet grasped what it means to be a Christian. Because being a Christian means strength and weakness. It means getting to that point, but then seeing the glorious good news of Christianity that God, who you sinned against, has provided a way for you to be made right with him. The God that you have sinned against has made a way to forgive you. But you can only see that way once you come to the end of yourselves. And when you get there with glory, look and behold that he has done it all. He's paid every debt, canceled every sin. If you will look to him, that's the good news of the gospel. It means getting to that point. Maybe the Lord is going to bring some of you to that point today. It means getting there, but it means staying there. The way we make progress as a Christian, the way we are discipled, the way that we grow to look like Christ is strength in weakness. It's a continual dependence on the power of Christ. And it doesn't mean we don't try to look like Jesus. I'm not saying that. It's not as though it's just like, well, I can't do anything, so I'm just going to stay here. And then it's like a conveyor belt where the Lord just kind of walks me through and then you know, puts holiness and love and mercy. I mean, no, no, no. The gospel calls us to grace-fueled effort. But in those efforts, we continually acknowledge, Lord, I'm not enough. I am insufficient. Help me. And the Lord provides through his spirit power. My burden, church, is that each one of us live the gospel of strength and weakness. Third thing, third implication, we must boast in our weaknesses together. This is where we kind of turn from our own individual lives to the church corporately. You know, I had a, I had a friend years ago that was planting a church in the D.C. area, and he was a well-known guy in the D.C. area. If anybody it seemed like was going to have a successful church plant, it would be this guy. Uh, he, before doing this, he'd led a ministry at a church that had hundreds of people, that there were folks from all over the D.C. area that were coming to that ministry. He was leading a conference for young adults that had thousands of people, and he felt like the Lord was leading him to plant a church, and the church plant team he recruited was like stacked. It was a stacked church planting team. People were already telling him, like, man, you have no idea how big this church is going to be. You don't know how influential this church is going to be. And just as they were about to launch, an outside attack came and kind of ground everything to the halt while they figured out what to do. And all of a sudden, things stalled out. And all of a sudden, all the hype and momentum of the church plant were kind of gone. All of a sudden, some of the people that were like, yeah, I'm going to do the church plant were like, oh, you know, maybe not, you know. And so I met with my friend during that time. And I was just asking him, man, what do you think the Lord's doing during this time with you guys? And he said something I'll never forget. He said, I didn't realize until this happened that one of the core values of our church must be weakness. Because we felt strong to plant. But the Lord loved us too much to allow us to plant in that kind of strength, in our own strength. Now, by God's grace, the church was established. It has done well. It has grown. It is a great church. But the Lord had to adjust that church's expectations of itself. Now, here's my burden for us. We face a danger together. We can begin to measure success and power by worldly standards. We can subtly begin to make our strength, the number of people we have, or the number of ministries we have, or the outward strength of the ministries, but we must fight the temptation to be pulled by the world and by our own hearts into that. We cannot measure our success by worldly measures or our power by worldly measures. Here, church, here is where we must boast in 
our weakness, in the places in which we are human and inadequate and finite, and yet God's power shines through those things, that's where we boast. We boast in the fact that a former drug addict regularly preaches the gospel at our church. We boast in the fact that one of our longtime worship leaders got cancer and kept singing until he went home to be with the Lord. We boast in the fact that one of our community group leaders deals with chronic physical pain and still smiles when you meet him. Church, that is where we are strong. Not in the stuff. Look, our building could burn down, our website could get crashed, all of our money could evaporate, and it would not remove the true measure of our strength. Similarly, we could get good at manufacturing the appearance of ministry. We could crank out new ministries with cool names and spend more money on more stuff and be devoid of the power of God. Church, we must get good at boasting in the right things. Fourth, we must also be content in our weaknesses together. Where there are places of inadequacy in our church, we must be content. Look, we are in a season of transition and growing pains as a church. There are places where the boat is a little creaky, like, you know, and I wish our boat was like freshly painted and had no holes in the hull and everybody knew what they were doing, but we're kind of a ship where it's like, okay, it's holding together. It could use a new paint job. It's creaky. That guy up there doesn't have any idea. He's just tying knots, you know, but he's up there serving. We love him, you know, and... And it's like we're doing the best we can, and yet somehow the Lord, in his providence, in our weakness, is blowing into our sails and taking us where he wants us to go. And in those places where we see our inadequacy, we must be content. We must be content. We don't have everything together as a church. We always need volunteers in kids' ministry and worship ministry and pretty much every ministry. I was talking to a pastor today, and I was describing to him the dynamics of the church, and he was asking, well, who's on staff at the church? And I was describing you know, how many people we have, and I was like, yeah, we have more people than we had before, and we actually have two full-time guys on staff now and some assistants and stuff. And he looked at me, and he was kind of like, that seems low. And I thought, yeah, that feels low. <laughs> like... <laughs> I feel like we could use some more help in some ways. But where the Lord has allowed us to have inadequacy, to have inability, we are content. Now, I'm not saying in any way that we settle for mediocrity. I'm not saying that at all. This is, we're going to be pushing for excellence in the other messages. I'm not saying we shouldn't steward the gifts God has given us, but we will always, as a church, have limitations. We will always have places where we do not feel strong. And in those places, we must say we're content because that weakness highlights your strength. And if anything good happens, it is not because of us. It's because you showed up, Lord. All right, fifth and last thing. We must boldly go in God's strength together. Now, the last thing I want is for this message to make us a sort of kind of mealy-mouthed, like dragging our feet kind of church where we're just like, I'm just weak, I can't do anything. And the Lord says, go therefore and make disciples. And we're like, I'll do the best I can, but I just, you know... Just don't have a lot of going for me, Jesus. Have you seen the holes in our ministry teams? We just can't get out there. No, no, no. 
Church, if we get this, that in our weaknesses, the Lord delights to show himself strong, we will be the most godly risk takers on the planet. We will be the boldest people on the planet because when the Lord calls us to do something and we come up and there's a gap, like, well, we can get to here and the Lord's calling us to here, that place is where the Lord meets us. I remember taking a class from an older, more experienced pastor, and he said, listen, if in your ministry plans, there's never a gap between what you can do and what God is calling you to do, then you have a problem. What you can do is say, well, here's what we can do, so that'll be our goal. No, no, no. He says, your ministry plan has to be, we can get this far, and then we want to be here, and Lord, please show up. Your ministry plan should be written in such a way that if the Lord does not show up, they will not work. We must boldly go in the strength of God together. We know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that our God is able. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is strong. We know that he is unstoppable and victorious and is advancing his gospel through the church until he returns. So we boldly go. We get out there and do what he has called us to do in weakness to display the strength and power of God. Look, this is not an excuse to give up. To give up, if we were to give up, if we were to hold back, it means we're saying, I don't have the strength and nobody has the strength. To persevere means to say, I don't have the strength, but God does. In closing, I just want to share a line, one line in particular from one of my favorite authors, David Powlison, who's a biblical counselor. A few years ago, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and given a short time to live. And he writes this, cancer tests you yet that is exactly where Christ meets you. He makes in his writing through cancer an extraordinary statement. He says, to beat cancer without God may only make you more foolishly self-confident. He saw the temptation of pride and he leaned into his weakness. And at the end of his life, he was supposed to address the graduating class of biblical counselors that he had helped instruct, but his body had wasted away to the point that he physically could not even speak in front of people. And yet he wrote out his final address. He wrote it and they read it. He says this. He speaks of Jesus and the cross and resurrection as a display of strength and weakness. And he says, it's that weakness and need that we see supremely exhibited at the end of Jesus' life when he goes to the death in our place, casting himself on the Father's mercy and power. He was raised in strength while retaining compassion and sympathy for our weakness and our need. He warmly welcomes us to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy we need and the grace specific to whatever difficult situation we are in. And then he ends with this. My deepest hope for you is that in both your personal life and your ministry to others, you would be unafraid to be publicly weak as the doorway to the strength of God himself. Church, may we be a church that is unafraid to be publicly weak as the doorway to the power of God. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. been listening to Better News Radio. 
Pastor Ricky has been teaching through a vision series on what things should be of utmost importance in a church. If you've missed a message from this series or would like to hear today's teaching again, you can do so by visiting our website at betternewsradio.com. Feel free to download the audio to take with you on the go or just listen online. We also encourage you to subscribe so you never miss an edition of the program. We're so glad that we can bring God's Word to you through the ministry of Better News Radio, and we want you to know that we're praying for you always. If you're seeking some prayer support, we're happy to do so. Simply call us at 915-562-7100. That's 915-562-7100. We'd be honored to hear from you and be aware of the things that you're wrestling with. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen today, and we hope that you can find encouragement through a Bible-believing church in your area. By joining a church, you gain a support group of brothers and sisters who put God's love into practice and can help you grow in your relationship with Christ. If you're ever in the El Paso area, please come join us here at Cross of Grace Church. You'll find all the information you need online at betternewsradio.com. Thanks for tuning in today to hear about what vision should look like in a church. Be sure to join us again next time for another edition of Better News Radio.